And I always look to Jesus. That's where Mike and I, we keep pointing back to Jesus in beating guns because um, at, at the end of the day, the question becomes, can we carry a cross in one hand and a gun in the other? Can we love our enemies and simultaneously prepare to kill them? And the early Christians were unequivocally clear on this, that for Christ we can die, but we cannot kill. You feel like home. You feel like home. You feel like home. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm Seth, your host. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one this week. Yeah. So I just want to skip past, you know, the Patreon plug and the request for iTunes reviews. You know better. If you haven't done it, you should have done it already. I really want to get into this conversation. I spoke with Michael Martin and I spoke with Shane Claiborne and I spoke about guns. And you're probably thinking, guns, like we're, we're here to talk about Jesus. But I just want to be very clear. If you don't watch the news or if you have just been burying your head in the sand, America has an idolatrous an idolatrous love affair with firearms. And the statistics show that I, I just don't, I don't know, I'm afraid that we don't care to change that. It doesn't seem to matter what happens, but all we get is his thoughts and prayers. And so I was able to you know, speak with both Shane and Michael, and they've written a book called Beating Guns, Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. And that's that's what we talk about. We talk about what it looks like for the church to be involved in changing the narrative and to be actually leaders towards bringing people away from a heart of violence and defensiveness and aggressive posturing in a heart instead of grace and shalom and community and patience and maybe conversation and having to deal with all of the ramifications of hurt because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about gun violence. We're talking about somebody hurt, hurting someone, hurting themselves, responding to hurt. I mean, there's just so much nuance. And and this talk is uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, I was raised in a way that, you know, guns are a part of life. Guns have a purpose, I'll be honest, but I really wrestle with it. And so let's get into it. There, here's this conversation with Shane Claiborne and Michael Martin. Michael Martin, Shane Claiborne, I'm excited to have both of you on the podcast. Um, thank you both for taking the time to come on today. Mike, for people that aren't familiar with you, something I always like to do, and so I'll ask you both to do this. Um, just in brief, kind of tell me a bit about yourself, just so that way as we begin to nuance this conversation, people kind of have an idea of you know where you're coming from you know, as a person, kind of a little bit of your upbringing, and kind of what makes you tick today. Yeah, I, uh, I come from a Mennonite background faith and a Baptist faith. I grew up in a Mennonite family that attended an evangelical church, non-denominational church. So um, I have kind of my foot, one foot in e- either of those circles most of my life. And then I got my my biblical studies degree from an evangelical school. And but the professors uh, really pushed me to to get into my Anabaptist theology. And 
really that's kind of what spurred the initial beginnings of an idea of what raw tools would be, turning swords into plowshares and what that might look like today. Um, I was a youth pastor, young adult pastor at a Mennonite church here in Colorado Springs for three years, um, and then uh, burnt myself out there, and then a year later started raw tools. So raw tools, is that specifically the work of, of, of breaking down weapons and making it turn into something else, or do you do other metalworks as well? So raw, yeah, raw tools, it's uh, raw is war backwards, and we, we turn guns into garden tools, but we use that as a gateway to teach people and introduce them to nonviolent resources, uh, de-es- de-escalation skills, things like that, that, restorative justice, as well as access to uh, trauma awareness, maybe victim support groups. So things kind of that see gun violence and, and how we're going to address the complex issue. Nice. And then Shane, if you could do similar, just tell everyone listening a bit about you and then we'll dive right into this. And 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 I will say I'm excited to dive into this. What The book that y'all have written is something that um, I'm excited for the topic. But, but Shane, a little bit about you. Awesome. Yeah, man. I'm a Tennessee boy. Grew up down south. I actually, uh, you know, we'll be talking about guns. Some. I grew up with guns and um we got country music down there in Tennessee. You know, this house is protected by the good Lord and a gun. And if you come unwanted, you'll meet them both, son. You know, that's our the world I grew up in. Fell in love with Jesus down there. And then um, I ended up, you know, I kind of wanted to get outside uh, the the world I grew up in a little. And that's why I came up to Philly and um, went to school here. And then we got to know a lot of folks that were uh, waiting for housing and that we're living on the streets. And that's how our community started 20 years ago. Um, a group of homeless moms were living in an abandoned church building and we came alongside of them and joined them in their struggle and then started renovating abandoned houses and stuff here and, uh, been building a little village. We've got murals and gardens and help kids with homework, share food with people. And, um, and also, you know, we try to get involved in, in challenging the, principalities and powers, as the Bible says, you know, the things that hold people down and squash people's dignity. And certainly one of those in our neighborhood uh, is gun violence. We've seen way too many people killed. So we, we uh, uh, I'm honored to team up with Mike and we've, we've done uh, weapons conversions right here in our neighborhood. And we'll be doing one as we kick off the tour uh, here in, uh, on, on my block. Yeah. So are y'all both in, in the same area then? Both up in Philadelphia or Philly area? Uh, no, no, no. He's out in Colorado. No, but we're, he'll he'll be coming out here in a, in a week or two, and then we'll, we're going to start our thirty-five city tour. You know, right here in the city of love, we're going <laughs> to launch out of here, and um, and then we'll we'll be going all over the country. I have to look at the tour and see if you're coming down in my neck of the woods. I live out here in the middle of of the Blue Ridge Mountains. What is the genesis of this book? Like uh, guns in America are like well. I had a question of my child's doctor recently, and he asked me, you know, they were going to test her for gluten and see if she had an issue. We were just having some other issues. And and the question he asked me was, how often do y'all eat wheat? And my answer was, well, we're American. And he just started laughing, like, that's a fantastic answer. And I feel like if you ask anyone about guns and their relationship with them, you're going to get a similar answer. And so why write a book talking about guns and specifically gun violence? Well, in some ways, we, we, uh, we, we look at the United States and um, we, we've got about 5% of the world's population, but we have almost half the world's guns. Uh, we, we've got uh, 
almost five times more gun dealers than McDonald's restaurants. Um, and we've also, you know, we're leading the industrialized world in gun deaths at about 105 a day, 38,000 a year. Um, and uh, so all of that, I think for me, and I think for Mike too, we just, we're champions of life. And uh, the, the irony is that we've so narrowly defined pro-life to one issue of abortion that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, and still say you're pro-life as long as you uh, are against abortion. <laughs> right. But what what Mike and I are really saying is we 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 believe that we can save lives. Uh, over half of the the deaths uh, every year are suicides, and uh, so many of those are by gun. Um, people that end up using other methods. Uh, often survive, and most of them don't die by suicide. They get a second shot at life. They often get help. Um, and uh, so guns just make it a lot easier to take your own life, and they they make it uh, a whole lot easier to kill a lot of people, you know. And, and it's true, you know, in the U.K., fo folks tend to use uh, knives. And if we got rid of all guns, we would still find ways to kill people. But you know, things like assault rifles, they are designed to kill as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. And that that's what they uh, keep getting used for as the weapon of choice in mass shootings. So I think there's a new conversation happening. Um, and a lot of gun owners are uh, uh, against gun violence and they want to see some changes in our country. And that's one of the things we talk about in the book. We um, We've had uh, a lot of gun owners that uh, don't think we should have have ar-15s on our streets uh, one of them they had a great shirt that said a good hunter doesn't need 10 rounds <laughs> so yeah uh mike so as i'm curious so as you melt down you know an ar-15 or something similar like that i have to think that 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 people pick at that or protest that or that like it's, i can just see you you know walking in you know to a starbucks or something like that you're grabbing a cup of coffee and people are like oh you're the guy that destroys uh, you know, you're, you're the guy that destroys guns. So what is the feedback that you get from people when you tell them what you do? Uh, there's a lot of raised eyebrows, but you still don't understand it. Like if they're like, oh, that's really cool. Or like you do, do what? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's mostly, it's mo mostly positive reaction though. Um, I think that's one of the things we want to get to in, in this book as well, is that a huge majority of America really is tired of this gun violence and is looking for a new way to to address this issue um, instead of kind of getting stuck in the the either more guns or no guns are the answer to yeah. it and that you can't really have anywhere between um, we in the book we say a lot that um, we have a gun problem and a heart problem um, we believe it's both of those it's not either or and that um, there's some combination of that involved in in each instance of gun violence and so really that's uh, we're looking to help restore those conversations um, and, and see really that everybody really doesn't like, like gun violence and that whether you're on the gun problem or heart problem, um, that we can all be accountable to, to ending it. So I find, and, and, and a lot by doing this podcast, if I appeal to people's logical side, uh, the conversation goes nowhere. And if I appeal to people's heart side, you know, their emotional side, at least the conversation is honest and we may still not really ever agree. And so I'm curious, and neither one of you can tackle this. 
how do you approach this conversation in a way that actually fosters a conversation as opposed to Shane, you're just trying to take away my second amendment rights or, or Mike, you know, you wouldn't think that if you'd ever been the victim of some kind of, you know, assault or abuse, you would want to protect yourself. And so how do you begin to even have a conversation about guns in America in a way that breaks down barriers so that you can actually have the conversation and not just yell at each other like some live version of a Facebook comment thread. One of the things that we do is is uh, emphasize the personal dynamic of this. Uh, almost everywhere we go in our 35-city tour will be um, having victims of gun violence share their stories. I think we've got to realize that this has a name and a face. And if you walk through my neighborhood, we could tell you the stories of almost every corner of our neighborhood of who was killed there. Um, even the house that I'm living in had someone that was shot and killed here. So these are some of our um, uh, lack of urgency comes from sort of a distance from these to where it, gun violence just ends up being one more thing that politicians debate rather than the urgency that 105 lives that are lost each day. Every one of these uh, children is a child of God made in the image of God. And, um, and so we're trying to humanize that, you know, and there's something powerful about seeing, uh, especially the moms and dads that have lost their kids as they take the hammer and they begin beating on that metal with tears rolling down their face. There's a visceral, um, you know, element to this. And, um, uh, and, and that's that's what we really believe is going to move people is not just statistics, but the tears and the pain and trauma uh, of communities that have been devastated by gun violence. Hmm. Yeah. Mike, do you have anything to add? I know you started there at the beginning. Yeah. And just to double down that we've got to be willing to listen to each other's stories and that when we that when we talk about uh, approaching the issue of gun violence, that we have to listen to the people who have lost lost their loved ones to guns because it's it's more than just just that data real lives are affected and it and it that ripple effect is huge it's not just the immediate family or immediate friends or people who were present when it happened that's grief that that lasts a lifetime we, we had one of our first events together with uh shane and i uh in philadelphia we had a mother who had lost her son 20 years prior to that event and uh she hit on the barrel of the gun in between every hit she said this is for my son. And, and usually when we're doing this, we tell people to, to hit the barrel until the orange glow goes away. Well, she, she wasn't going to stop until her arms were retired. Mm. And you, you need to allow space to get rid of that grief and to, to tell, allow, allow people to tell that, that story to their community and realize that this, this is something that lasts forever and that it affects classmates. It, it affects uh, people who see that empty seat at church or at work or at school week. Yeah. So at, at recording this, this is like days after that Coast Guard lieutenant, you know, was arrested or, or you know, got caught with that huge stockpile of guns. And, you know, Shane, you started out with, you know, being in Tennessee and, and, uh, and I'm from Western Texas. And so I, I too was raised in a culture of you know, there's just guns, there's, there's rifles, there's pistols. We're going to go, we just do this as a pastime. How do you speak to this conversation in a way to be respectful to the people that want to say that you're infringing on a second amendment right or privilege? 
You, sure. Well, so for starters, uh, the, this is the conversation that is very reasonable. And I think promising is a conversation that is not about taking away everybody's gun and making all guns illegal and, you know, uh, deleting the Second Amendment from the Constitution. Um, but it's just going, are, are there some things? I mean, we got to remember the, the, you know, the, some of the first words of the Second Amendment are well regulated. And the irony is that the, the gun industry is one of the least regulated in the entire country. Toy guns have uh, more restrictions on them than real guns. And in fact, there's a total immunity from in the gun uh, industry from lawsuits and stuff. So if, you know, if I shot you with a Nerf gun and put your eye out, you could sue Nerf. But uh, the gun corporations have total immunity on that. So there's just, I think, some reasonable things that that folks are coming to to land with. But here's the thing is that two thirds. So there's there's more guns than people in America, but two thirds of Americans don't have guns. So a third of Americans have guns and three percent have half the guns. So there's this small group of people that have a ton of guns. Um, there's one person that we write about in uh, Mike's hometown that has like 4,000 guns. So there's there, there comes a point where you realize that a lot of gun owners are not extremists um, in, in that sense of having 4,000 guns. In fact, when the NRA says we represent 5 million people, that even if we take that statistic to be true, that means 90 percent of gun owners are not a part of the NRA. And yet the NRA, which represents so few of the gun owners of America, they own most of the politicians. And uh, <laughs> that's part of our problem, you know. So I think we, we and it's, it, you know, not just about restricting things like assault rifles, but, you know, um, there's there's real common sense laws like, is there a limit to how many handguns that one person could purchase in a year? Say maybe one a month. There's called a one handgun a month restriction that would say one person can only have 12 handguns in one year. Uh, but this kind of extreme gun uh, uh, population has kind of held the whole conversation hostage, saying, no, we don't even want a limit like that. But even outside of the laws, too, like there's things like technology where fingerprint technology, which we use to operate our phones, and you can even, you know, do security at your house or ATMs now with a fingerprint. We totally have the capacity to have smart guns that operate with a, um, a fingerprint. So that would cut down accidents where a kid finds a gun at home and, and, and take the, you know, and, and there's an accident or someone takes their own life with a the family gun. So there's things like that that we haven't even explored because of kind of the uncompromising uh, way that that many of the, the kind of gun extremists have held the conversation hostage. Mike, I'm curious. So being that you said you were Anabaptist, you know, and kind of in that vein, that's a very normally nonviolent version of Christianity, which is not the version necessarily that I was raised in. Not that I was a violent version, but it, I just wasn't raised that way. I was raised, you know, Southern Baptist, let's do this thing. Sure. I'm curious, as you were writing the book, what was one or two of the hardest things that you, that as you came to grips with it, either researching it or having to write about it or work through it, that you're like, you know what, I have to set this down for about 10 days or whatever the amount of time is. And I really... I really wasn't prepared to wrestle with this topic at this time, even though I do need to write this book. I, I don't think – I've been doing this for uh, just over six years now. February, uh, this marks our – February 12th was our official start. Um, everything in the book is kind of something that we, we've 
dealt with or, or come across in the past. But what gets me every time and almost every time I tell the story is one of Charletta Evans who lost her three-year-old son to a random drive-by shooting of some teens who wanted to impress a local gang, kind of at the height of gang violence in the late 90s in the Denver area. And every time I tell that story, I can't help but cry or I can't have I have to stop whether I'm I'm preaching or just at a coffee house telling the story to uh, a colleague or, or a friend. I, I have to always collect myself because it's an amazing story of, of transformation um, of somebody who lost her son and a great story of forgiveness. And I'm just going to, uh, you know, make you get the book to find out what that story is. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, tell me about the story, but that's <laughs> not going to work now. So um, I'm not a big fan and of recently. I don't think that the church should play any part in politics, but I don't know how to talk about guns and the church try to flex any form of moral muscle without playing part in politics. And so how do I tread that lightly? Uh, one of the questions that I asked Mark Van Steenwick a few weeks ago was, you know, how do I be a prophetic voice for change that furthers the church in a, in a good way without becoming the next version of institution that my children are going to have to speak out against? And so how do we ride that line? Well, I think I, Shane and I say a lot, uh, we echo the words of Carl Bart of reading the newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. And that I think especially in the last few years that we've we've realize the power that our our commitment or our participation in public policy whether that's our vote or maybe we're we're on the local school board or whatever that level is that we have an opportunity to uh, better the lives of those around us and cast those votes and and make our opinions and statements heard for the better of our community and not just ourselves as far as creating another system that our our kids might have to change a little bit. I think that's okay that they can continue to evolve these systems um, and create something better than what we created because uh, we should be open to that. We should be open to that evolution of change within the polity and policy that we make. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I want to uh, dive a little bit deeper into the, the, the politics because I've certainly found that it, you know, uh, a, a lot of my life, I was had some serious anarchistic tendencies and didn't get involved in politics and thought politicians were a lot of times like preachers, you know, they can talk the talk, but talk's pretty cheap at the end of the day. But I, I want to say that I think that the the word politics comes from uh, shares the same Greek root polis, which means city, and the polites is the citizens. You know, so there's this uh, even like cosmopolitan is the world city and metropolis the mother city. So there's the the core of politics is really about what it means to live together and to uh, make sure that people flourish. So I I kind of want to take some of that back. Now I don't think that being politically engaged means being partisan. Um, I don't find a home and on the left or right, but a lot of these issues are not left and right. They're about right and wrong. And I really think that gun violence is one of those that uh, folks can come together on and really make a difference if, when we're asking the question, how can we make sure that people flourish? And you think about you know cars, as cars have uh, evolved over time, we have some you know, you have to have a license. You got to pass tests. There's kind of some standards of uh, like a, a speed limits, and you know, as new technology develops, you can't text and drive. Those are good laws. They're meant to like protect people's lives. Um, but guns are one of the least evolved things in our country, where we 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 basically um, and and one of the the most um, 
deadly. So I, you know, I think that we can do better at protecting people's lives and especially those of us that love Jesus. Um, we, we can be champions of life on this issue, uh, too. And, and whether that's suicide or guns that kill police officers, I mean, we literally have bullets that are designed to pierce through bulletproof vests and like those are allowed on our streets. So, you know, I, I don't think that that laws are going to solve our heart problem, but I do think that we can change some laws that would save some lives, and and we would we would be really um, at a loss if we didn't do everything we can to protect life. So when people say all we can do is pray, I think they're lying. I mean, you know, I think we do need to pray, but we also need to get off our knees and we need to uh, really uh, take some actions that could protect people's lives. So I've started. drilled down onto the church part, I guess, of the can I say this at church. So if I brought this up at my church, like if I walked in on Sunday and then I was like, hey, Mr. Person A or hey, Mrs. Person B, we need to talk about your, um, I would argue, idolic worship of your guns that you are elevating against or above, you know, a a posture of humility and and a posture of wanting to love on people, uh, even even when it's uncomfortable, because guns are innately aggressive and also innately defensive, and neither one of those look like Jesus. But what are so I know that you've heard the proof text. You know you've got the you know the the verses on you know go get yourself some swords. We're doing this, and there's so many other verses throughout the Bible that people often quote from the pulpit or that the NRA will bastardize to to help rally the base around protecting our rights to have guns. And so what are some of your answers to those proof texts? Because I feel like a lot of people listening hear them often and often are woefully unprepared for that because we we don't talk about it at church. We definitely don't talk about it at school. And most parents grew up in a different generation where we didn't really discuss it either. And so I often find myself lacking. One of our one of our friends and someone we quote a lot in the book, Jim Matwood, wrote a book, uh, America and Its Guns, a theological expose. And I had the chance to have lunch with him once, and I, I asked him almost the same question. And he said it all starts with having to know that uh, whether it's your pastor doing this or you're talking to somebody at your church that you love them, that you're asking this out of love. And they have to know that. They the, the relationship has to be there. It's not it's not happening in a, in a vacuum. And I think a lot of us uh, can assume that. I mean, I know that my own church is, has several opinions on this issue, and it goes uh, a variety of ways. So, but that if we start from a position of love, that we're going to be able to have these tough conversations. If you want to get right into the proof text, like when it says, get your swords, right after that, Jesus rebukes Peter for using the swords. Mm-hmm. And many, many people say that's when Jesus disarmed the church. Uh, I've talked to many gun violence survivors who have been them in a mass shooting at a church who now counsel church security teams and that introducing a gun in the midst of a mass shooting is one of the most confusing things you can do because now gunfire is coming from multiple directions. And that, in fact, the best thing you can do is essentially run and tackle that person from an invisible to them angle. There's other ways to solve those problems. Usually you just can't start from 
of the big what if questions where your only solution is the gun and the one bullet in that gun in your hand. And that really it's, it starts before that and that there's so many lines have been crossed before that person decided to use a gun to hurt people that we can engage that situation long before it ever becomes violent. Yeah. Yeah. I think the theological issues are really, really important. The spiritual dynamic of violence and fear. And so when you talk about pastors, I think it's so important that we're not just talking about guns. We're also talking about a culture of fear And the scripture says that perfect love casteth out fear. So what does it look like to to stand on the side of love rather than fear? And I'm convinced that fear and love are enemies. Um, They they cannot coexist. And we can see what happens to a country right now, I think, that is really... Um, held captive to 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 fear. The fact is that when we're conditioned to fear in certain ways, we're 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 conditioned to fear people that don't look like us, you know. Um, and we hear a lot of that about immigrants or refugees coming to this country. But the Cato Institute showed like what uh, they did this incredible study where they showed like ten things that are more likely to kill you than a refugee or immigrant. Uh, and they're things like swing sets and uh, uh, lightning or uh, falling down the steps, right? Roller coasters. One of them was a vending machine falling on you. Like these are all things more likely to kill us than <laughs> than a refugee uh, or immigrant. And and when you look at mass shootings, you know, most of them are done by men and and most often mass shooters are white men. But we, we still in our society are conditioned to fear certain people or certain things. So I, I think like as Christians, we've got to uh, address this as a fear versus love thing. And we've also got to address some of the idolatry. Uh, the, I mean, if you think of how we put our trust in guns and, and can you trust, you know, as, as a Psalm says, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of our God. Like uh, there, there's something about idolatry, I think, as my, my friend Andy Crouch says, uh, all idols begin by offering great things for a very small price. And mm-hmm. all idols fail more and more consistently to deliver on those promises. And they keep ratcheting up their demands of us. So we think of all the promises a gun pledges, you know, power, control, safety, protection. And if a gun were capable of keeping all those promises, we would be like God. And that, you know, this, so these, these are like really deeply spiritual things. And I always look to Jesus. That's where Mike and I, we keep pointing back to Jesus and beating guns because um, at, at the end of the day, the question becomes, can we carry a cross in one hand and a gun in the other? Can we love our enemies and simultaneously prepare to kill them. And the early Christians were unequivocally clear on this, that for Christ, we can die, but we cannot kill. And that um, text that uh, Mike referred to where Peter instinctively, I like Peter because he's a lot like us. He talks without thinking. He takes risks and jumps out of a boat trying to walk on water, you know, but at the end of the day, the soldiers come for Jesus and he picks up a sword and he picks up his weapon and he, he injures one of them. He cuts the guy's ear off. And, and we cannot miss what Jesus did. He rebuked Peter and said, put your sword back. You pick up the sword, you die by the sword. And then he heals the man that Peter wounded. And Tertullian, one of the great thinkers of the early church, he said, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed every Christian. Because if ever there was a case 
for using violence, justified violence to protect the innocent. Peter had that case. He had the strongest case in the world. But we we see that that this is not the way of Jesus. Jesus teaches us uh, a, a different way to interact with evil without mirroring that evil. Um, and and that Jesus is called to turn the other cheek stands in stark contrast to the NRA's command to stand our ground. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we we don't take evil seriously uh, or or that we we uh, don't resist evil, but I think we don't do it on its own terms, and we we certainly don't use violence to counter violence. And one of one of the my, actually my favorite part of the sword to plow scriptures is in Micah, where he ends it by saying, "We will all sit our, sit under our own vine and fig tree in fear." Of no other, and even George Washington meditated over this. The the play Hamilton has a song that quotes him as saying that, and that you know there's a longing in America, I think, for this this time of peace, and at least a time where um, if we're afraid of each other or we're afraid of what might happen, that we don't let that fear make decisions for us. And I think uh, Micah puts it so beautifully and puts it in this text. It's seen elsewhere in the Bible too that the vine and the fig tree is a is a like a, a representation of Christ's kingdom. Mm. A question that I asked of Dr. David Gushy down there at Mercer, uh, I asked him about, you know, if, if we overturned Roe v. Wade, I don't think that the that, that our country or the people that live in it are, are prepared for the implications of that. And so let's assume that everyone that reads this book, even the guy that has 4,000 guns, he keeps that one that doesn't work because it was his great, 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 great granddad's and it has some form of family significance, whatever. But he's, he, he destroys the other 3,999, and so does everyone else that reads the book or is engaged with the book. I don't know that America is prepared to live in a place that we don't have a necessary fallback on you know, when we're scared and when we're afraid. So what would you say to those people that are like, no, I, like, I need this. Like, I can't do this. Like, you're, what you're asking me to do I am not equipped to handle, you know, especially people that, you know, live along the border and they believed a narrative of these people are coming to hurt you or this drug dealer is going to come in and he's going to rape and pillage. Here we go. I'm curious. Do you think that America is, if they did what Jesus would ask, are we actually equipped and prepared to do that? I, I don't think that we, you know, we, we live in these, uh, absolute ideals of it's all or nothing. You know, I think that, that, um, as the kingdom comes, as Jesus says, you know, we're to seek the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Those of us that are seeking first the kingdom want to keep moving towards that. So if we know that in the end, the prophets are right, that, that God, when it, when it says, my people will beat their swords into plows, my spears into pruning hooks, um, that's the trajectory of history. So that begins to change how we live and, and how we act in the world. So, uh, you know, I, I think we can keep the momentum going, but certainly before every social movement that has changed the world, everybody said it was impossible. And after every social movement, people said it was inevitable. And you think about slavery, you know, folks said, well, don't talk about this from the pulpit because this is a political issue. Um, people said, we'll never be able to do away with slavery. I mean, this is the entire way our economy exists. Um, so all of those things looked impossible, but now we look back and we go, wow, that, that makes sense. And I think that, that frankly, we, we can, a generation or two from now, we will look back at our gun violence and think, man, uh, we should have done that so much sooner. And how did Christians, you know, continue to, to justify, uh, that violence with the Bible? Um, 
So I, I think we can do better. And, and please, you know, I mean, we're not talking about all these radical shifts happening at one time, but we're talking about things like, hey, if you're on a no-fly list, uh, you're on the terrorist watch list, and, and you can't fly on airplanes, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun at a gun show. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are not like, we're not going like totally wild, right? We're just, we're just kind of have some small things that we think, uh, um, and, and 80% of even gun owners agree on many of these, these uh, proposals that are out there that we could actually uh, make some changes on, you know? So, yeah. Mike, how would you scale this up? So I want to depersonalize it. So how would you scale it up for, you know, America? Like how does America live with a heart of beating, you know, weapons into plowshares? Because we are the biggest military superpower, well, arguably one of the biggest military superpowers in existence. Right. Yeah. And we we have a section in the book talking about the big guns on that. And part of that is highlighting how some steel from the World Trade Center was made into three bow stems of new new Navy fleet. So there is certainly a national uh, narrative that goes against not using violence to solve conflict, that violence to solve conflict is a pretty popular thing to do, not just in America, but worldwide as well. And so uh, there's a lot to be said about the tools that we are underutilizing to solve conflict, whether that's interpersonal, whether that's from group to group or uh, country to country, that there's uh, a lot of great things like, like Christian peacemaker teams and just basic conflict mediation. We have a lot to learn from the Native Americans uh, as far as dialogue circles and and mediation skills that really make us stop and slow things down. That's a big part of Swords to Plowshares. You take something like a sword that gives you what feels like immediate answer, whether that's stopping somebody from hurting you or killing them so that they can never hurt you, to a plowshare that requires you to have seasonal patience. You have to to wait a season to see the fruit of that plowshare that we need to uh, kind of change the way we we think about conflict in our life and that includes conflict within our within ourselves because suicide uh, like Shane said is two-thirds of gun violence so um, there's a there's a lot of conflict that we're dealing with and it's very complex since gun violence speaks from other issues when we talk about gun violence we have to talk about suicide we have to talk about gang violence and domestic violence and then we also need to talk about the big guns what what is the national example being set for conflict resolution and this this is something that the church has an immense opportunity to set a new example it's it's right there for for the church to to step in and be that example of of uh, nonviolent conflict resolution i forget who i spoke with in the past year but someone said something similar i, th- I think it was on muslim integration and um and fear of the other and and i forget what he said exactly but he basically said the church historically always is playing catch-up when if we were actually being the church we would be the trendsetters and 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 the people blazing the trail towards uh something that looks closer to shalom as opposed to something that looks closer to gradually being dragged in to a better version of humanity uh, which is really, that's really sad. That's really sad. Mm. What is the final hope then? Because we're wrapping down to the end of our time. What if, if we do it well, what do you want people to, at the very end to take home? If they only heard one one thing and say they've been listening to this for the last you know, 30, 40 minutes and they kind of checked out because they were uncomfortable with talking about an addiction to guns and an addiction to violence, really. What is the thing that you would say, hey, stop what you're doing, pay attention and hear me when I say this? I I would say we're going to keep going back to that core verse for us from Mike and Isaiah 
that God's people will beat their swords into plows. And it ends, that beautiful vision ends by saying nation will not rise up against nation and people will learn violence and war no more. But what's so beautiful about the verse is that peace doesn't begin with the politicians and presidents and kings. It begins with the people of God and they begin to transform their weapons and their hearts obviously are transformed. They, be, they refuse to kill and they begin to repurpose the metal that was designed to kill into tools that can cultivate life. So uh, in the end, um, I, I think what's so powerful is that this is about God changing people's hearts. And then as God is healing our hearts, we want to heal uh, a broken world that is plagued uh, by violence. So um, it, it's not uh, we're not going to legislate uh, love, but we we do believe that um, because this is a gun problem and a heart problem, that God heals hearts and people make changes in our society that allow life to flourish a little better. And, and we can do that right now. Mike, anything to add? Yeah, I think that that Shane hit it right on the head that if the end goal is that we we begin to make less and less swords. That if that is the the prophetic vision, and that's what we believe is uh, the kingdom, especially as Christians, is going to look like, that it makes less and less sense to keep making swords. Uh, we know they're just going to be made into plowshares. Um, so to to have a shift in our resources um, is a big part for myself and Raw Tools. Uh, I know Shane too with his community development that there's a new way to look at at how we. we how we engage with our neighbors in our society. I'm, this is quasi-related, but it's more just logically. I want to break that down. How many how many firearms, on average, if if, if most people own pistols? I'm assuming that's I, I have no idea what the most commonly held firearm is, but I'm assuming it's got to be a pistol. They're least expensive, most easily concealed. How many of those does it take to turn it into something that can till the earth, like that can actually do something useful? We can make a, a easy or simple garden hoe out of a pistol. We can make a, several hand shovels out of shotguns. And we can make three to four double-sided tools out of rifles, the longer ones. So depending on the gun, we get different tools out of it. But we can make at least one tool out of every gun. So it's, 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 and, and, it's at a minimum one-to-one. Yeah, yeah. At minimum and on, on average two to three. And, and just in contrast to that, uh, listen to this, man. Like right now in the U.S., we are making a, one gun every three seconds, 18 guns a minute, over 1,000 guns an hour, 25,000 guns a day. Like we are arming the world, and yet it stands in such contrast to that prophetic image of beating swords into plows and Jesus saying – Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. So that's who we want to be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Well, the book is available. Uh, it comes out when? March 5th? 5th, 5th yeah. Um, and so that's going to be available everywhere that books you, are sold. But You can pre-order it now and register to get a plow that Mike made. So if people pre-register, they can get a plow. So uh, or, or you you may win one. We're going to give away a bunch. I'm on so. the website right now. Where do you register for this plow? i'll do that while i'm on the phone with you awesome and by the and you know like we said we're going all over the country too so uh folks can go to beatingguns.com and um see what what the nearest place that we'll be in we're live streaming a lot of these so um 
Yeah, and and uh, keep us in your prayers, and we'll be traveling in our. We got this school bus converted to a tiny house tour bus with solar panels, and it has the forge and the anvil in the back of it that we'll be traveling on. So it's going to be a, a powerful trip. What is the manpower for that? Because I I have to think that that's going to be exhausting for whoever's running that forge every you know every time you stop to a new city like that that just the manpower involved. It's got to be exhausting. We got some woman power. So it's about power. my yeah, wife's going right. to be drive. My wife's going to be driving. I had to get her a bus outfit, so she's got overalls, <laughs> gloves, and a hat and sunglasses. But then Mike's doing the hard work, and and we've got some other blacksmiths, don't we, Mike? That you yeah. should talk about that. You know, we're trying to actually set up kind of a network of blacksmiths around the country, right, bro? Yeah, so a big part of uh, the raw tools aspect of this is building a disarming network. And you can see that on our, our website at rawtools.org, where there's people across the country that are volunteering their time or, and or their space, as well as their tools to help us disable the guns for folks who want to donate guns to us and blacksmiths who want to help us process those guns and turn them into garden tools. So we've got about half a dozen blacksmiths across the country and about 30 to 40 people across the country. But we really want to double and triple that so that uh, if you want to donate a gun to, to us, there should be someone within an hour uh, at, at most that can help you disable that if you don't have the tools. Um, and then we, we make a, a free tool to anybody who donates a gun to us. Uh, and then we keep the, the rest of those gun parts to make more things to support our work. To get those tools, so they have to be hand delivered. Like, because I, I know you can't like mail a gun through the mail. So um, if right. they're not if they're not close, how do they get the firearm actually processed into you? That's the the necessity for that network. So if hmm. if you're in West Texas West Texas and you want to donate a gun to us, you have to disable it before you can mail it to us. Otherwise, you'd have to mail it to a gun dealer who would perform a background check. But if you disable it by making three cuts through the receiver, uh, we follow federal ATF guidelines for that. They they basically tell us where to do that. And then it's no longer a gun anymore. You've destroyed the firearm. You're just, you're piece just shipping of that metal, bullet, right? You're just shipping metal and wood and plastic. And then we take that uh, and make some garden tools, and we send one garden tool back to you. Mike, where can they where can they engage with you? And then Shane, how can they also engage with you? You know, as they listen to this and they read the book and then they want to do more. Um, you, you got beatingguns.com. You've got raw tools. How would they engage with you at a personal level if they felt called to? Yeah, like you said, rawtools.org, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for us as well. And there's a lot of different ways you can engage on our website as far as how do you want to plug in, donate, or be a part of that disarming network, or have us come out for an event. We're doing this kind of huge book tour, um, but we do that. Shane and I have been doing that together for almost five years now where we do a gun-to-garden tool demonstration that's alongside a worship service, and that's what the the – the book tour is going to look a lot alike, but that can take a lot of different forms. There's a lot of different ways you can engage with, with raw tools. Yeah. And then I'm on uh, Twitter and Facebook at just my name, Shane Claiborne. And then we have Instagram for the tour at beating guns. So uh, yeah, keep in touch with us. And you know, if folks, if folks like got excited to, about having a chop saw, I've been calling some of these chop saw churches cause they'll have a place where, People can donate guns and have a chop saw on on site at their church or community center. So there's nothing right now that, you know, if someone inherits like a 12 guns from their grandfather, that they have a very easy way to uh, get rid of them and have them repurposed. And so that's exactly what uh, Raw Tools is up to. And, and we're, we're pumped about, you know, 300 million guns in the country. We can uh, make a lot of beautiful things uh, out of those that uh, cultivate life. 
Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, thank you both for your time and for your willingness to be on today. Thank you both. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Seth. your eyes and picture what our planet not not your family what our planet could actually look like if each and every single one of us could figure out how to deal with aggression in a way with humility and not meet bullet for bullet sword for sword if we would genuinely let jesus and the heart of the gospel change the way that we deal with violence because i think shane and michael are right we have a heart problem we are addicted to violence. And I'll be honest, sometimes being angry feels good. We just have to realize that, myself included. Go to the website at beatingguns.com tour and see where they're going to be. And if they're close to you, go out there. Even if you don't have a gun to trade in, just go out there. See what it's all about. I find the cathartic stories that Michael talked about and Shane talked about of just people really working through that loss and that trauma in a physical way, but also deeply in- involving church and community, and God. So I challenge you, sit with this. Sit with the uncomfortability. Let it stay there. Don't push it away. And do whatever you feel called to do. The music for today was used with permission from Hills by Hills. Definitely get more acquainted with them. Follow along in the show notes. Talk to you next week.